This program is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com, green technology helping to reduce the need for business travel. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Rachel Maddow Show, Gemma Hightower, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, The Jimmy Dore Show, and The Progressive with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. Here is your next quote. Stop whining. That was Vice President Joe Biden trying to inspire and encourage what dispirited group? Oh, I haven't the slightest idea. Well, it's a big group. He's part of it, and they're very depressed. (laughs) And they've been whining. And they're about to be really badly beaten by the other guys. Oh, okay, the Democrats. They're the Democrats. There you go. That's the clue. The White House has decided to tell Democrats to get excited after giving up on their first strategy, doing exciting things. The president has been offering the same message this week as his vice president, only in slightly nicer language. They're like, good cop, embarrassing cop. In an interview with Rolling Stone, for example, the president started jabbing his finger and told liberals they'd better get excited about the midterms. He also said that he was going to pull this damn White House over if you don't put your Yes We Can t-shirts back on right this minute. I just wonder, like, how laid back do you have to be before Barack Obama says you're too laid back? That's true. He is the most easygoing, seemingly, you know, when he tells you to get excited, that just means maybe stand up. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, his argument... I mean, he's been going around, I don't know if you've seen this, it's really kind of interesting. He's been going around doing these backyard appearances in homes around the country and listening to people talk. And almost inevitably, the people are all upset with him. They say, I'm your supporter, but things are going really badly, and why should I continue to support you? And his argument is basically, look, he's like, he's like a boyfriend, right, who takes you for granted. And when you say you want to see other people, he's like, well, really? I mean, because the guys out there, they're just awful. I mean, honestly, I'm as good as you're going to get. Because all the nice politicians are married or gay. Sometimes both. I, I think these backyard chats have been, they seem a little tepid to me. Really? Yeah, like, um, there always seem, like the pictures I've seen, they're usually a couple of empty chairs. Like, that, that's not good. I yeah. think when you've fallen from... 200,000 people in Europe rallying behind you to, you can't fill a backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Something's gone like, horribly wrong. The advanced people are like, do you have any neighbors? Do you have any kids right. who have to listen to you? Do you have anyone? Hey, I'm working Are there any prisoners around here we can force to sit in your backyard? Listen up, get your ears open. Speak no evil before you've heard mine. This is my rhyme and it lives like a spider and trap door holes in my head. Now they're open, you pray to find. I got a hunger for hearing in mind I absorb every sound way underground Sitting ready to pounce when I like a sound Am I empty headed or dumb? Because I talk a little or none Or am I listening? Ever since John McCain and Sarah Palin came in second in the presidential election in 2008, watching the Republican Party figure out what they want to do next, who they want to be their post-Bush, post-McCain leaders, what they want their party to stand for, It's been the greatest show on earth. But now that all of the major primaries are over, now that the sheer slate of Republican candidates has taken shape, the Bush post, the post-Bush, post-McCain Republican position on the issues is measurable. It's not a theoretical fight anymore. It's not debate club. Republican voters have gone to the polls. They've selected their candidates. And by looking at the positions those candidates endorse, we can now measure what post-Bush, post-McCain Republicans stand for. Generally speaking, what they stand for is getting rid of Social Security. Or if we shouldn't eliminate it altogether, then we should at least privatize it and give it over to Wall Street. Guess what's coming in Russ Feingold's negative campaign? He's gonna tell you I said Washington treats Social Security like a Ponzi scheme. You know what? I did say that, because it's true. I don't know whether it's constitutional or not. It is certainly a horrible policy. We need to phase Medicare and Social Security out in favor of something privatized. We know that the government never gives So don't us, fix it. You're saying don't do any I'm of these I'm saying fixes. it can't be fixed. It's broken. It's a Ponzi scheme. 
They're taxing us to pay for the current generation. The idea that the federal government should be running health care or retirement or any of those programs is, is fundamentally uh, against what I believe. We have to look at all the options that are out there, including privatization. And put them into personal retirement accounts okay. immediately. What we need to do is personalize Social Security and Medicare. If there was a hint of hesitation there at the end, a bit of a hedge, did I say privatized? Maybe I mean personalized. That sounds better, right? Any hesitation, like what you heard from Sharon Engel and her rebranding effort there, is now going away. That's in part due to the influential, deep-pocketed conservative group, the Club for Growth. That's the get government down to the size where we can drown it in the bathtub group. That's the group once led by Pat Toomey, who's now the Republican nominee for Senate in Pennsylvania. The Club for Growth is now pushing for the privatization of Social Security, and they're pushing for Republicans to be proud to run on that. In a new post on its website titled, Privatize Social Security, Hell Yeah! That's the name of their pro-privatized Social Security article. Hell yeah. Woo, yeah! We're not the social conservatives. We're the money guys. We swear. We say H-E double hockey sticks. You may remember that after he won re-election in 2004, President George W. Bush toured the country pushing his plan to privatize Social Security. Remember, he said he had accumulated political capital and now he wanted to spend it. I earned capital in the campaign, political capital, and now I intend to spend it. It is my style. That's what happened in, uh, uh, after the 2000 election. I earned some capital. Uh, I've earned capital in this election, and I'm going to spend it for, for what, I, what I told the people I'd spend it on, which is, you've heard the agenda, Social Security. Social Security. The president did do a national road show about privatizing Social Security in 2005. He told the American people how excited he was for the elderly to divert their Social Security checks to Wall Street. And while President Bush was manifestly excited about that idea, the American people were not. The roadshow was a failure. The accumulated political capital dispersed. The American people were not moved. And boy, did that turn out to be handy. Because take a look at this. This is the S&P 500 index over the last five years. From about the time that President Bush was proposing, we start putting people's Social Security checks in the stock market. If you retired under a privatized system like the one George W. Bush was pushing in 2005, you would just have to hope to not need that retirement money in a year that looks, say, like 2009. But there's another element to privatizing Social Security that even Republicans who say they're in favor of it don't like to talk about very much. And that's overhead, the, the cost of administering it. Right now, as it is, with the government in charge, Social Security is cheap to administer. As our friend Ezra Klein pointed out in a recent column for Newsweek, administrative costs for Social Security are less than 0.9% of total spending. In other words, it costs relatively mm, nothing, sort of, to run Social Security. Less than 1% of the total cost of the program is spent running it. It is super efficient. And it's a government program. I know your head's exploding. How is this possible? Same way it's possible for Medicare. Some big government programs like Medicare and Social Security have like Zippo for overhead. They are very efficient. But if you privatize Social Security, you instead start paying private for-profit Wall Street financial firms to manage Social Security money. And they're probably not going to operate like the super efficient government programs they would be replacing because after all, they are private, they are for-profit, and they are in it to make money. In fact, back when President Bush was pushing for privatization in 2005, his own Social Security Commission estimated that under their system of individual accounts, five cents of every dollar would go to pay administrative costs. Five percent. For those of you keeping track at home, that's more than five times more expensive than it is now. So yeah, the government now doesn't gamble with old people's Social Security checks on Wall Street, and it can administer this program for almost nothing. But Republicans think it would be a better idea to go ahead and pay Wall Street five times as much to do with Social Security checks whatever it is that Wall Street does with money, which, as we know, sometimes involves losing it, a lot of it, quickly. And remember, this is not people's investment portfolios. This is not pin money. This is a safety net. In many cases, for millions of Americans, this is the safety net. If you are retired and Social Security benefits account for the majority of your income, which is true for the majority of all retired Social Security recipients, if you are one of the 13 million retired Americans who would live below the poverty line without Social Security, when you lose the value of your safety net portfolio, to a downturn in the stock market, or when you watch it get eaten up over time by Wall Street fees, that's it. 
that was the safety net. There isn't one anymore. Suddenly you're 85 years old living in cardboard and eating cat food. But hey, don't worry, most of these same candidates that we just mentioned, the ones who want to get rid of Social Security or privatize it or personalize it, they're also talking about phasing out Medicare, which is our health insurance program run by the government for older people. So you will be 85 years old living in cardboard, eating cat food, and trying to buy health insurance on the private market. And if there's any one group of people who can reliably find affordable health care on the private market, it's definitely people who are social security age. So far this campaign season, people have been paying a lot of attention to tax cuts and to the individual wackiness factor of a lot of this year's crop of candidates. But right now, these issues, Social Security and Medicare, are at the heart of Republican policy proposals. At the center of the Republican platform is the idea that maybe there shouldn't be a safety net for retired people in this country. That is what Republicans are fighting for this year. If you take away all the characters, all the gas, all the scandals, this is what they're proposing. Democrats have been running away from the new, the new Deal for so long, they are sometimes afraid to say it, but the New Deal brought us Social Security, and Social Security has been really good for America. And Republicans want to ash can it. Some Democrats may be too scared of their own shadows to say it, but it is worth saying. You better say it now. Cause this is what you've waited for. Your chance to even up the score. And as these shadows Many in Congress argued that it was dangerous, senseless, even screwy. Yet the officials in charge insisted on unilaterally escalating the war. And now it is spiraling out of control with potentially disastrous consequences for America. I'm not talking about our country's military surge in Afghanistan, but about this year's shocking escalation in the brutal, quote, war for an American corruptistan. In January, five black-robed autocrats on the Supreme Court decreed that America's corporate powers must be allowed to flood our elections with an unprecedented, unlimited, unconscionable tsunami of special interest money, effectively drowning our ideal of a people's democracy. Oh, tut-tut, clucked the five Supremes at the time. The electoral impact will be minimal, for corporate executives will be self-regulating in the use of their shareholders' money. Wow, what a happy theory. Maybe these five slap-happy theorists should visit the ongoing Senate race in Florida. Led by the ethically challenged Republican hatchet man Karl Rove, a front group named American Crossroads has amassed an ocean of Supreme Court-approved money from out-of-state corporations and billionaires to back a Republican hustler named Marco Rubio. Hailing the influx of corporate cash from Rove's front group, one of Rubio's backers happily declared, I think it's going to seal the deal in getting his message out. And what exactly is his message? Rubio will rein in out-of-control spending in Washington, screams one of his ads. No, he won't. He'll simply shift spending from public needs to giveaways for oil companies, military contractors, and other money powers that the five Supremes and Carl Rove have unleashed on the good people of Florida. This is Jim Hightower saying, in corporate corruptistan, money is the message. You know some people, they just won't understand, they just won't understand. If you're like most Americans, then fighting traffic across town or flying across the country for business meetings is one of your favorite pastimes. Unfortunately, the same way sweets are making us fat, some of our favorite pastimes, like business travel, are killing the planet. And that's why my liberal guilt leads me to advocate for GoToMeeting. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with clients or coworkers online while sharing exactly what's on your screen, so it's just like meeting in person, minus the jet lag and exploded dinosaur remains. 
Listeners of this show can try out an unlimited number of meetings for 45 days by visiting gotomeeting.com and using the promo code PODCAST. That's gotomeeting.com, promo code PODCAST for a special free 45-day trial. There's a new coalition. It's called the Coalition for Accountability and Political Spending. It's being uh, spearheaded by New York City uh, public advocate Bill de Blasio. And he's saying, hey, listen, we're getting too much unaccountable corporate money into these elections. And it's okay, but it's got to be accountable. I mean, you've got to say, hey, look, here's uh, corporate, uh, Corporation X spending uh, Y amount of money, and here's why they're doing it, right? So he also runs New York City's uh, largest pension fund. So he's like, if I'm investing in these companies, and, and I'm part owner of these companies, representing the people of New York, well, then i got to have a say, and I don't want them running ads against Democrats. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I don't want them running ads uh, in an unaccountable way, because I'm the owner of the company, in, in a manner of speaking. And he is, right? Or the people he represents it are. So he's asked J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, to adopt policies against spending money from their general treasuries in elections. They can still have political action committees, but you can't just take a whole bunch of money from your general treasury and go, boom, here's, it goes to the Republicans, which, of course, they're doing currently. It's interesting because that article uh, was in the paper on the same day, uh, the, the, another article about how much interest groups are buying their way into the elections. So just in the last four years, there's been an enormous sea change. Obviously, that sea change came after Citizens United Supreme Court case that came uh, that was decided just a little while ago. In 06, for example, it was a midterm election, as 2010 is a midterm election, and outside groups had spent 16 million dollars uh, on the midterms. Uh, that's both Democratic and Republican. 16. Million. You know how much they've spent so far? So far, we still have the last month to go. 80 million dollars, five times as much. Now, okay, so but that's Democrats and Republicans. Which way is the party? Uh, which way is the money flowing? Um, now, these are outsider groups. These are not the political parties. Okay, Republican conservative groups have outspent Democratic progressive groups by a seven to one margin in this election cycle. Seven to one. Okay. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. One. Corporate money's flowing in, and they don't have to tell you where it's coming from. So they're like, oh, oh, we've been waiting this for a long time. All right, take his knee out, take cap him, he's done. So, for example, there's this group called uh, American Future Fund. Nobody knows who's contributing to it. It's a group out of Iowa. It didn't used to have much money before. Uh, now, after Citizens United, boom, there comes $7 million, and they've already spent that on behalf of Republicans in about a dozen House and Senate races. They don't like Bruce Braley in Iowa. Oh, by the way, all these things claim to be grassroots. <laughs> this is a good article from the Washington Post. It actually looks at the Democratic donors, and they see for the Democratic groups, it's all small donors, right? Or largely small donors, I should say. For the Republicans, it's either giant blocks of millions of dollars at a time from a single person, or it's untraceable, okay? So they don't like Bruce Braley. He's a progressive. So boom, $800,000 against him, which is gigantic in his race for a congressional district in Iowa. And then this group starts running ads against Braley saying that he supports building a mosque at ground zero. And we ran those ads, and they make him seem like he's the Taliban, right? You know, Bruce Braley didn't even say anything about the ground zero mosque. I mean, like if he had said, oh, you know what, it's First Amendment rights or whatever, and then they smeared him. It would be heinous and ridiculous, but at least there'd be logic attached, right? Here, they're like, who cares whether he said something or not? Let's just smear him. He's like, wait a minute, I didn't say anything about it. So who cares? That's it, you're guilty. Taliban, Al-Qaeda. You do a favor of building a ground zero mosque, and he's one of the Muslims. Yeah, Bruce Braley from Iowa. I know, right? Uh, by the way, who's the guy behind the ad, and the one being paid so much money by these outside groups? Larry McCarthy. He's the media strategist who came up with that uh, brilliant Willie Horton ad. Back in the day, for George H.W. Bush, put the scary black man uh, and said, This man is, was released from prison because of Mike Dukakis. Look at how black he is. And that seemed to work pretty well. Uh, and by the way, the Willie Horton, known as, Horton ad is known as one of the most despicable ads 
political ads that we've ever had in this country. And guess what? Larry McCarthy, the guy who came up with it, he's back! And he got more money than you know what to do with because of these groups. Um, one other problem for the Democrats. Uh, Obama, when he ran in 2008, discouraged left-wing groups from even forming to spend outsider money into campaigns. So, brilliant idea. Unilateral disarmament. Republicans uh, raise all this money from corporations. Democrats are told by their leader, shush, bend, down, down, and they don't do anything. Fantastic, that's a great idea. So here's another group. It's called 60 Plus Association. They're supposed to be the conservative answer to the AARP. I didn't realize the AARP was liberal. I don't know, maybe I missed it. They're very adamant about protecting the rights of senior citizens, but I didn't, you know, so they, of course, want to protect Social Security. I guess conservatives find that to be a liberal cause. So they've got a, a conservative answer to this. In 2008, before Citizens United, well, they had a lot of money, actually. They had uh, reported $2 million in revenue, and a lot of it came from direct mail contributions. So they sent out direct mail. Americans sent it into them, $2 million. Not bad. Uh, so how much money do they have this year? Well, uh, apparently they have spent $7 million already on election-related ads, and they also funded a $9 million campaign against Obama's health care overhaul in 2009. So that's $16 million they've already spent. Now, where do they get all that money? Oh, well, you look at that. It turns out that they are a foundation who was connected to Pfizer, the major drug company. Huh. But they say, oh, no, no, no. Our money is untraceable. And you don't know that it's from Pfizer. We're not saying it's from Pfizer. We're not saying it's not from Pfizer. Yeah, in the past we got money from Pfizer, but that's when we had to report who we got the money from. Now, we don't have to report it thanks to the Supreme Court. And so I got $60 million war chest that I'm going to look to destroy Democrats and health care uh, proposals with. You try to figure out who it's from. Ha ha. Money is pouring in, flooding in to buy our politicians and to the ones who are not bought to get rid of them. They are being targeted for destruction. It's go going all across the country right now. That Citizens United was a disaster of epic proportions. The, they, it was, the kid took the, I mean, it was already, the dam was already leaking, but the little Dutch boy took his finger out of the dam, and the whole dam burst. And so now, if you thought our politicians weren't bought before, wait till you get a load of them after 2010. I'm going to take you on a journey to the past, back to 2004, when many of you are nothing more than twinkles in your parents' bulky four-gig iPods, and a charismatic young go-getter named John Kerry, with an unusual common man's touch, <laughs> ran for president, and he would have won too, if it weren't for those meddling kids and their large dog with a snack fetish. Sorry, I meant group of veterans who hated him. John Kerry has not been honest about what happened in Vietnam. He is lying about his record. He dishonored his country. He most certainly did. Swift Book Veterans for Truth is responsible for the content of this advertisement. Without that ad, John Kerry would have been our next president. <laughs> I, meaning myself, John Kerry, being my name, do solemnly swear Obviously not swear in the context of a curse word, but in that I prom... <laughs> the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth was a political group classified as a 527, meaning that they could receive unlimited corporate donations for their political ads, as long as they did not explicitly tell people to vote for a certain candidate and also reported the names of their donors to the IRS. I know what you're thinking. That sounds pretty restrictive. 
Well, don't worry. The Supreme Court Citizens United ruling fixed this 527 unloophole, allowing other groups not bound by the ban on pre-election candidate advocacy to feed more fully from the corporate trough. These groups called 501c4s, not to be confused with Levi's line of explosive jeans. <laughs> brought with them an added bonus. That's a special tax status for this organization that means it doesn't have to reveal its donors. You can't know whose money it is. <gasps> That's what's so exciting about it. <laughs> it's like a hot dog. If you knew what was in there, you wouldn't want to eat it. <laughs> or a glory hole. <laughs> Not everyone goes to ballparks. <laughs> the anonymity protects whistleblowers, like the secret group that blew the whistle on 17-term Democratic Congressman Nick Rahal's long-hidden terrorist agenda. I proudly chaired the Arab Americans for Obama campaign, a nationwide group dedicated to mobilizing Arab Americans and bringing light to those issues we care about. Call Nick Ray Hall and tell him what you care about. The West Virginia Conservative Foundation is responsible for the content of this advertising. You know what I'm going to call the West Virginia Conservative Foundation just to say thanks for that ad. Excuse me a minute. Oh, that's right. I get it. They don't have a phone number. They operate out of a P.O. box, meaning they're a front organization that exists only to funnel money into anonymous political advertising, or they're extremely tiny. That'd be one crazy glory hole. Now, the Democrats are furious, furious about these untraceable ads because of their principled stand against fear-mongering. Carl Rove, Ed Gillespie, their Bush cronies, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, their shills for big business, and they're stealing our democracy. It appears they've even taken secret foreign money to influence our elections. It's incredible. Republicans benefiting from secret foreign money secret foreign money and I wouldn't be surprised if that money has secret Chinese herpes on it <laughs> by the way the worst part about Chinese herpes is an hour later all right forget it um, <laughs> it seems the fear mongee has become the fear monger <laughs> and that's when this whole thing gets so bizarre that Karl Rove the architect has to express outrage over political tactics the President of the United States accused the Chamber of Commerce and the Democratic National Committee in its new ad accuses Ed Gillespie and I of a criminal violation of our law by getting foreign money and spending it on American political campaigns and they have not one shred of evidence. Have these people no shame? This is just beyond the pale. How dare the President do this? I mean, how dare he? I mean, I, I do declare the President has given me the vapors. I mean, oh, oh no, my hair, my beautiful hair. What? What is some way to show the Karl Rove's outrage over phantom where's the money coming from allegations were in some way hypocritical. But to do that, we'd have to go all the way back to slightly less than two months ago. I do think there are questions about the, who's behind all of this. I mean, this goes to the motives. My problem with this site is that it is so close to ground zero, and I don't trust this Iman that they need to tell us who's behind it. I, I, well, and, then and where's I, the money I, coming I, from? Because it might be Muslim money. <laughs> dirty, dirty Muslim money. In fact, it seems Mr. Rove's entire network has found a newfound respect for not chasing the money. This election is about the economy, not about billionaires and foreign funds and who's funding whatever. What's he going to be doing there? Is he going to be raising money for this mosque? Now, the blame game isn't the only scare tactic that the president is employing. His administration is also peddling a conspiracy theory that unknown foreign investors are funneling money into groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. When asked by ABC News if foreign donors would be used, the developers refused to comment. There are no facts in this. There is absolutely no evidence that any foreign money is being used by the Chamber of Commerce. 
Where is the money coming from? If foreigners are donating money to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and that organization is using the money to buy anti-democrat ads, that would be a scandal. But right now, there is simply no evidence of that. Where is the money coming? Is it coming from Wahhabists in Saudi Arabia? In their defense, they are talking about Muslim money. <laughs> So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. I mean, there's no better better example of how badly the Democrats uh, politic. I don't know if that's a correct word to use there, but they politic horribly, mm-hmm. you know. And when you're a politician and you're bad at the politics, that's going to hurt you, you know. <laughs> when you, that's you know, it's like being an Olympic swimmer who's not good in the pool, you know. <laughs> it's like you know, I'm 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 good in the shower, like a mfer. I'm oh, oh I, yeah, I, 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 I get just, the suit right on. Oh boy, you I go see up me the, towel off. You see me go up that ladder. <laughs> Huh? That was by myself. I did it by myself. So, yeah. So, the, the, so that's the Democrats are bad, at, and, and and all they can do is whine. Here's Chris Matthews whining about what happened to Barack Obama. By the way, if they were better at the politics, they'd be bankrolled better. I mean, the thing We'd is, we have a better country. They, well, the, the the corporations would go. Well, I'm going to back the winner. I'm going to back the person who's going to end up in but office. I think so I, if they were better at the the politics, it would fix. Some I of disagree this. with that because there are, are certain corporations that that know that the the left is is going to fight their policies and and is not going to back whoever they think is going to be the, a, a winner. Also, they don't need to back the winner because the Republicans didn't win a thing this time out and they're still controlling the debate. Yes, yeah. yes, and they're still it's got nothing controlling to do with winning. Like, they just need enough people to, you know, like a filibustering or, you know, the, exactly. uh, the don't ask so, questions. Really like, so here's, let me cr- play Chris Matthews complaining. Politics is unfair. We all know that sometimes. But it seems to be particularly unfair that a bunch of guys who sat on the bench and all they did is hoot and catcall for the last few years and say no and screw this guy's program up as much as they could. And this seesaw politics if he goes down, we go up. Right. I mean, that's all they got, Boehner and Mitch McConnell. He- and that's I, all I they need. I would agree with him. Yeah, and, and that's, that's all they need. And it yeah. turns out that's all they need to beat you guys. That's because the average American doesn't really isn't going to doesn't read the paper enough. You know what? It, it's 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 you know what? Yeah, that is true. And, and I am one of them. That is true. I am one of them. I'm I'm bored by the minutia of this went on to this vote and this person did this and that person did that. And uh, you, you know, but the, the, I think the bigger problem is, Paul. You're, you're correct. Most people are busy living their lives yeah. to have time to get informed, and yeah, that's right. why people we're that, here. People that work for a living. Yeah, people who work for a living. That's oh, wait, why is that why it's a republic? Is that why we <laughs> hire people who are actually good at this stuff? Yeah. But the problem is, how come they can get their message through, but the Democrats can't get their message through? You know, FDR got his message through. You know why? Because he wasn't afraid of his message. Yeah. And what what we need yes. is to have a guy who's not afraid of these guys, yes. like Barack Obama. To, to get to the top of Wall Street or to get to the Harvard uh, uh, Law Review, he had to learn how to get along with those guys because he wasn't from that world. Mm-hmm. FDR didn't have to learn how to get along with those guys. Those guys had to learn how to get along with him because he grew up that way. He was already a big, you know what I mean? Yeah. He came from royalty, yeah. so he wasn't afraid of those guys. He never had to try to make friends with those guys. Yeah. Those guys had to try to make friends with him. Yeah. So uh, and so now we have so here we are with the, it's a perfect example. This tax debate, this tax debate, right? So the the, the Democrats can't even find a way to give a tax cut to their base working people without somehow also being hoodwinked and and uh, 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 arm twisted into giving a 
tax cut for the richest people who've ever lived on the planet, and that will also balloon the deficit. Okay, so and 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 so and why is that? Now, why is that? The GOP members of Congress have managed to confuse the issue so much that middle class Americans have been deceived into believing they get burned unless the upper classes get to hoard more of their treasure. We have politically cleaned their clocks and beaten them. Exactly. I can't believe that people are still uh, still trying to sell trickle-down economics. Like, is there any more basic thing about saying, look, we've got this money to spread around. We can give it right to you, and you can have it, or we can let somebody else hold it for a while, and then you get it. Yeah. And the, the second one, that's better. Yes, the se- well, that's... We're let all, someone else have it for a while. We're all going to get to drink beer. You're just going to drink it after it goes through my kidney. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that, that's the thing, you know, you hear supply-side economics, we all know what that is, trickle-down economics, we all know what that is. You never hear demand-side economics. You mm-hmm. never hear that coming out of Barack Obama's mouth. You never hear that coming out of Nancy Pelosi's mouth. D- demand-side, that's what FDR did. He put money in the people's pockets, and that created a demand for products in the, society, in the, in the economy. Uh, you know what we... <laughs> well, it drives me this, 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 you know it's it's oh, to the man. point where they're so bad at politics that somebody like Keith Olbermann has to say something like this why on earth do you start every negotiation just barely left of center anybody on this planet haggling always asks for far more than they expect to ultimately get start at single payer and maybe you get public options started at indictments for torture and maybe you get a truth and reconciliation commission we have politically cleaned their clocks and beaten them you know what i was watching sixty minutes just to drive this point home a little harder to make you feel even worse about how bad <laughs> democrats are in politics and you know the worst president i guess of the, our generation it's just out of hand jimmy carter everybody says jimmy carter most failed. ineffective ineffective probably the most honest president we've had yes. in a while yeah. but an ineffective right there? horrible yeah. just a horrible ineffective president right well i'm watching sixty minutes and uh... and leslie stahl says this he actually had a long list of successes starting with bringing all the hostages home alive. He normalized relations with China, brokered a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt, deregulated railroads, trucking, airlines, and telephones, and his energy conservation programs resulted in a 50% cut in imported oil, down to just 4.3 million barrels a day. Many will be surprised to hear this. Jimmy Carter got more of his programs passed than Reagan and Nixon, Ford, Bush one, Clinton, or Bush two. Why is it that we don't know about that? We have politically cleaned their clocks and beaten them. That's right. They've the Democrats can't even. I mean, Jimmy Carter has accomplishments, and we've just they just conceded that he's the worst president ever. Nobody even knows about his. But we have to move on. Wasn't Reagan credited with bringing the hostages home? Yes, he was. In by fact, Reagan. By Reagan. <laughs> by Reagan. Well, no, yeah. actually, Iran had something to do with that because they specifically waited until. They waited they were until the inauguration. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they were, t- and like they waited to to do it. But and also, I mean, Reagan also reversed a lot of those policies the moment he walked in. Like all the energy Took down policies. The solar panels. He solar walked panels. in. He's like, no, screw that. Yeah, we don't need solar power. This oil's gonna work. Uh, yeah, and then and I'm going down to New Orleans. getting late for Obama to lean left. All the scuttlebutt in Washington is about whether he can get his progressive base behind him again and reignite the enthusiasm that was so palpable back in 2008. But it's a tough sell. For instance, if you're primarily a peace activist, it's hard to summon enthusiasm for the Democrats after Obama went and tripled the number of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Or if civil liberties is your bag, Obama's FBI raids at home and renditions abroad 
don't inspire. And if health care is your big issue, Obama's compromises are still hard to swallow, especially after Tom Daschle's acknowledgement, which he has since rescinded, that Obama took the public option off the table to mollify the health care industry. There are positive signs, though. Rahm Emanuel is gone, Larry Summers is going, and Elizabeth Warren is now in the White House as a presidential advisor. Of course, on the other side, there's always John Boehner, who may be inspiring enough in a negative way, all on his own. Hey, David Pakman here, host of the nationally syndicated Midweek Politics with David Pakman. If you're anything like me, you're a regular listener to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I want to invite you to check out my show, Midweek Politics with David Pakman. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists you've ever seen. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out midweekpolitics.com, check out my show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the Midweek Politics politics membership program. If you've got a Google News alert programmed to Republican Party witchcraft and anti-masturbation, <laughs> you're probably sick of hearing about how Tea Party favorite Christine O'Donnell clinched the Republican nomination for senator from Delaware. Man, she's like an East Coast Sarah Palin, or like a less slutty Rachel Ray, or, or like a non-masturbating version of former Delaware Senator Joe Biden. That's right, Biden. I just said you ride the Amtrak, if you know what I mean. I, I don't know what that means. Anyway, O'Donnell's victory has released hell! Are Republicans having a battle for the soul of the party? A battle for the soul of the GOP. Sort of a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. A battle for the soul! <laughs> Too bad we can't solve it the old-fashioned way. Fiddle off. <laughs> you know, John Boehner already beat the devil in one of those years ago. That's how he earned his solid gold tan. <laughs> so how's the battle for the soul of the Republican Party faring? Well, let's check in with the soul himself, Karl Rove. Where does he stand on Christine O'Donnell? I've met her. I'm not, I, I've got to tell you, I wasn't frankly impressed as, a, as her you know, abilities as a candidate. How does she make her living? Why did she mislead voters about uh, her college education? There are just a lot of nutty things she's been saying that just simply Sounds don't like add up. What? <laughs> Karl Rove wants Christine O'Donnell to answer questions about her history? <laughs> because that doesn't add up? Wow. Wow. Talk about, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. It's Karl Rove, the brain, the architect, the Frank Lloyd Wright wing of the Republican Party. I'm sorry, O'Donnell. Let's watch the rest of the party fall into line. Well, it wouldn't be prudent of me either to get into a tussle with Karl Rove, as you say, but... What the heck? Let's go ahead and do it. Karl Rove's vicious and um, really uh, uncivil uh, response last night, completely oh, tone deaf. I think it's so quick to pass judgment and to say she can't win the race. Oh, <laughs> Carl? <laughs> Are you going to let the pretty girls in high school tell you you can't sit at their table? This is your cafeteria, Carl. <laughs> Set it straight. I'm a huge Tea Party fan. This has given us energy, it's given us enthusiasm, and in many instances, it's given us highly qualified candidates. She's got a shot to win. That Look, I, I endorsed her the other night. I said, I'm for the Republican in each and every case. I mean, uh, I, I was one of the first to do it. And look, I'm also helping her. <laughs> okay, girls. <laughs> anyway, if you need anything, I'll just be over here in the corner doing your homework. <laughs> oh, look, Mom packed me two chocolate milks. And some extra Lunchables. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody want some? There isn't a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. It is the Tea Party Express. They've won. Now the battle is how many Republicans think they can cram themselves onto their train. The question now is, what's the soul of the Tea Party? In the, uh, the district where I come from, when I've, I've met with the, the Tea Party groups in my district, the one thing nationwide uh, that they talk about is fiscal responsibility, spending, the concern for, for the deficit. All right, well then it's pretty clear. The movement's roots are fiscal responsibility. That's why Tea Partiers buy their tri-corner hats in bulk. <laughs> 
It's about savings. They're tired of the, of the deficits and the bailouts and the takeovers. But they also, uh, in, in my experience, embrace the broad mainstream values of the American people, a commitment to the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage. Oh, so they're fiscal conservatives that are pro-life and uh, anti-gay marriage. So they're basically conservative Republicans. <laughs> oh, wait. So how is this group in any way different from the Republican Party platform we've heard about for the last 30 years? We won't wait for that political playbook to be handed us from on high. This is about changing the system, changing the political system. This is it, GOP. This is our time. Oh. <laughs> These people are actually going to do that We begin tonight um, with the continuing fail of this year's political common wisdom. So many Democrats who don't even say they're Democrats in their ads, number one, and who certainly don't say that they voted for health care or stimulus. Common wisdom about this year's elections is that Democrats can only compete this year. They are only competing this year by running away from the Democratic record. Common wisdom is that Democrats can only get elected this year if voters can be bamboozled into thinking that they might maybe be Republicans, or at least that they're Republican light. Earl joined Republicans to fight internet predators protecting kids. Earl Pomeroy, right? from North Dakota, the only member of Congress from North Dakota. Common wisdom this year is that all Democrats have to do what Earl Pomeroy is doing. They have to run essentially as fake Republicans. Or if they are going to cite Democratic accomplishments in a campaign, it's only because they're going to run against those accomplishments. That is this year's Beltway Common Wisdom, and it is pretty much bullpucky. Wisconsin Democratic Senator Russ Feingold is running for re-election this year. He is banking on the fact that that common wisdom is bullpucky. Senator Feingold has a difficult race this year, facing an uphill battle against a very, 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 very conservative, rich opponent. But he's not playing to the common wisdom, and for good reason. Senator Feingold spoke before the president did at a barn burner of a rally earlier this week in Madison, Wisconsin. The president's speech did not include a pause for applause, where his speech got to the part about health reform, but lo and behold, when the president did mention health reform, the 26,000 plus people in the audience roared with cheers and applause. We passed health care reform that will stop insurance companies from denying you coverage or dropping you coverage because you're sick. That cheering spontaneously for health reform. So common wisdom be damned, Senator Russ Feingold is campaigning on health reform as an accomplishment that Democrats are proud of and an accomplishment that Republicans want to screw up. Russ fought to stop insurance companies from denying Wisconsin children health care due to pre-existing conditions. Mr. Johnson would put insurance companies back in control. Letting them raise premiums and increase their costs whenever they want. Ron Johnson, hands off my health care. The other side of the anti-Democrat common wisdom this year is that not only can't Democrats run on the Democratic record, but they also always have to be on defense. You got it? You have to be on defense. Just wait for and then try vaguely to fend off Republican attacks. Republicans get to play offense, and whatever you do, for the love of God, make as little noise and take up as little space as possible, and maybe people won't notice you're there, and that's how you'll get reelected or elected. It's the Republicans' turf this year, and you, Democrats, you're going to play on Republican territory and just shut up about it. Please, sir, may I have another? That is the common wisdom this year. It is also bullpucky, and I can show you why and how. Not only can Democrats play offense this year, but we have examples. We have really good examples of what it looks like when they do so. We're about to play for you now something you have never seen before. We obtained this today from the St. Petersburg Times and Miami Herald. It has never before been shown on TV. It is from an event in Tallahassee, Florida in January, at which Republican Senate candidate Marco Rubio is asked how he would fix 
shows Social Security. Watch. I do think that a, the retirement age issue is going to have to be confronted at some point as part of a measure to reform Social Security. The other is giving people the option of taking some of their Social Security money, at least a portion thereof, and investing it in an alternative to the Social Security system itself. Right, but, if, but, but if you've had people that have, you know, just made terrible mistakes and lost everything in their 401k, wouldn't they do the same thing? With them? So Potentially, but it's, it's their money. It's their money. Cat food's not that expensive. Cardboard's cheap. That was Republican Senate candidate Marco Rubio speaking to reporters in Tallahassee in January about privatizing Social Security. That exclusive video, again, courtesy of the St. Petersburg Times and Miami Herald. I want to thank them for getting that to us today. Technically, it was quite a challenge, and we're really glad they did. Now, the Democrat in that race, Kendrick Meek, has used that statement, used Marco Rubio's position in favor of privatizing Social Security in a campaign ad against Marco Rubio. I'm Kendrick Meek, the Democrat for Senate, and with three of us running, you should know what makes me different. The only one against privatizing Social Security. Yay! Yay! Marco Rubio has what amounts to a politically indefensible position on Social Security in a state that has demographics like Florida does. Indefensible position. Indefensible position. So the Democrat running against him hits him on that politically indefensible position. The result is that the Republican runs from his own position. No, I do not believe it should be privatized, and I do not believe it's outlived its usefulness. On the contrary, I think Social Security is an extremely important program, and it should be preserved and saved. That tape of me saying otherwise is going to be really hard to find, isn't it? What? Privatized Social Security? Did I ever say that? Not that I think anybody can find. Me? No, never. That's crazy talk. The other is giving people the option of taking some of their Social Security money, at least a portion thereof, and investing it in an alternative to the Social Security system itself like the stock market. And if they lose it, eh, dummies. Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio, you have no idea what to say you believe about this now, do you? You are lying about your old position, or you at least, you're, you're at least flip-flopping on it. You're denying your own beliefs. Man, you're a mess on this. In Florida, you're a mess on Social Security? That sounds like trouble. Not only can Democrats fight on offense, it works when they do. Every year, even this year, Want another example? VA privatization. Privatizing the VA? Yes, as crazy as it sounds, this is an actual position taken by a number of Republicans this year, including Senate candidate Sharon Engel in Nevada. In a radio interview, Ms. Engel said this when she was talking about her father, who is a veteran. I know he pays over $800 a month in prescription drugs that we can't get through his VA nor through Medicare. They just won't cover those things. And should, I know lots of seniors. Should they cover those things? Uh, no, not, not if you're working toward a privatized system. What is this privatized system of which you speak? A privatized VA. An idea that veterans groups immediately went through the roof about. And an easy target that Ms. Engel's Democratic opponent, Harry Reid, took a shot at. Now, in another extreme proposal, Sharon Angle says privatize it, end the VA as we know it. When she was asked whether veterans' benefits like prescriptions and doctor visits would be covered if she had her way? No, not if you're working toward a privatized system. End our promise to veterans? Sharon Angle, dangerous ideas that put veterans at risk. I'm Harry Reid, and I approve this message. Democrat on offense against a Republican's totally politically indefensible, unpopular position. Result? Republican runs from that position, falling all over herself along the way. Sharon Engel, I yield the floor. I said that they could do a better job. That's all I said. The VA could do a better job for our veterans. That's all I said, I hope that the VA could do better by privatizing itself. That's all. Did I say privatize? I meant personalize. I just meant everybody should get monogrammed VA stuff. Oh God, what did I say? Also forced to play defense was Ken Buck, the Republican running for Senate in Colorado. After supporting legislation that declares a fertilized egg has the same rights as you and I have, his Democratic opponent, Michael Bennett, came out swinging with this searing attack ad. As a doctor, I try to protect the health of women. That's what I do. That's why I'm very disturbed by Ken Buck. 
Ken Buck would ban common forms of birth control. And Ken Buck wants to make abortion illegal, even in cases of rape and incest. But that should be a woman's decision, not a politician's. As far as I'm concerned, Ken Buck is just too extreme for Colorado. Since originally supporting the birth control pills are murder legislation, Ken Buck has changed his position, sort of. Uh, quoting the Denver Post this week, uh, during the primary, he, Ken Buck, said he supported the measure. Last weekend, his campaign said he would vote against it because he doesn't believe in banning birth control. Then on Monday, he said at a Jewish voters forum that he's not taking a position on the amendment at all. So it's Ken Buck flip-flopping, falling, ba falling over backwards, running from his record, not sure what his new record should be. This is what it looks like when Democrats are on offense. This is what it looks like when Democrats commit politics. This is what happens when Democrats try to win. Sometimes it works. This year's anti-Democrat common wisdom is bullpucky. Look, I, I run against the corporatist Democrats all the time. I, I rough talk them and I run them up, and you know that, right? And the Evan Buys of the world and the, and, uh, the Blanche Lincolns and the list goes on and on. And we fight against those guys for good reason. But there are good, strong progressives out there. And they're in tough fights right now. You've got to do the opposite, too, man. You've got to have their back. If they're going to stick their neck out and they're going to be tough, strong progressives. I mean, look, I, I'm sure there are more. But let me give you three names, right? Russ Feingold in Wisconsin. That, the man has been right on every single vote. Go back 20 years. You know who's the one guy, or actually among literally among six Democrats who voted no on deregulating, even though Bill Clinton wanted it, their Democratic president wanted it? Feingold. He said, no, this is going to lead to a disaster. He was right. He was 100% right. The one guy who voted for the Patriot Act because it takes away our rights. Conservatives should agree with him. Progressives, everybody should agree with him. He had the courage to stand up and do that. And the list goes on and on. If he loses to one of these guys, to Ron Johnson, uh, who gets government subsidies and then pretends to be against government subsidies, what are we doing? What, what? No, we've got to stand up for guys who fight for us. Alan Grayson, he's actually in a tough district. That district's been Republican for so long until he won that election. Now, if they beat Alan Grayson, imagine how unbearable the Republicans are going to be. Oh, but forget the Republicans. The Washington media, imagine how unbearable they're going to be. Oh, tut, tut, tut. You see, Alan Grayson was so radical, so extreme. He was actually a progressive. No, that's why he lost. Do what you can, man. We got to get... Look, I don't say that about very many politicians. And actually, there are things I significantly disagree with Grayson on. But look, so you can't be a doctrinarian. You can't be ideologically pure. There is reality. There is practicality and pragmatism. And I have an opinion. And I'm telling you what it is. Third guy, Tom Perriello, okay, won in a really tough, what they call an unwinnable district in Virginia, replaced a bigot uh, in, in that, the, the guy who was Virgil Goode talked about how we got to get Muslims out of the country, there are too many, Mos, too many Muslims that were in the country, etc. And he beat him when they, nobody thought he could beat him, but he's still in a really tough race. You got, he's one of the guys who thought financial reform wasn't tough enough. You got to go back that guy, okay? Because if you can at least, because here are your two scenarios. The day after the elections in, in 2010, the midterm elections, Democrats have lost everywhere. And they lost, Perriello, Grayson, and Feingold lost, okay? I give them as examples because they're outstanding examples. They're in tough areas uh, where they can win or lose, right? If they lose, Everybody's going to write, oh, you see, Democratic Party has to go further right. Right, 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 right. These guys went left, and you see what happened. They lost. La, 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 la. And this country is going to become even more mentally right-wing. But 
if a lot of Democrats lose in 2010 and those three guys win, then we get to say, hey, wait a minute, all you corporatists, all you conservative Democrats, you ran in that direction and you lost. But the guys who were real fighters, real progressives, they won. Maybe that's the way to go. So it's more important than those three races. It's enormously important for which direction the Democratic Party goes. And they say, like, I'm trying to, the Obama administration says people like me are trying to depress voter turnout. Are you crazy? No, if somebody fights for you, you fight for them. So, you know, whether it's volunteering, going to their websites, contributing, whatever it is, man, you got to do it. Okay? We, they're, I, in my opinion, guys like that are more important than the rest of them combined. My name's Doug from Columbus, Ohio, and I just want to say praise John Stewart for his uh, getting young people involved and his comedic way of uh, getting to the I issues. But, uh, you know, really shame on him for comparing Code Pink to uh, the people that call uh, President Obama uh, Hitler and all that crazy stuff. Uh, you know, the truth is... Uh, you know, Bush and Rumsfeld and Cheney, they, they really are war criminals, and, and Code Pink's right for calling them out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna regret not holding them accountable when, uh, when that crowd takes power again. That's all. Keep up the good work, Jay. Bye. Hey, Jay, this is Paul from Charlotte. I just wanted to call and thank you for saying you were an atheist on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate hearing other people who are willing to come out and say it. And uh, thanks for the show. Bye. Hey, Jay, this is uh, Doug Greer from Kansas City. I'm a big fan of your show. Um, but I have to comment on uh, one of your other fans. Uh, comments from episode 413, uh, Minister Brett. Uh, I'm glad that he acknowledged that most of his fellow believers, or many of his fellow believers, are intolerant and hurtful. But what kind of gets under my skin with the liberal, um, progressive ministers out there is is that they they constantly imply that us non-believers lack depth and nuance when speaking about religion. And it, it's really been my personal experience that many of the most knowledgeable people about religion are non-believers. There's even a Pew study that just came out recently that, that showed that uh, non-believers answered the, more of the questions correctly than, than believers did. I think it was uh, 15 questions or so that you can get online. Actually, many of the professional philosophers like Richard Carrier, author of Sense and Goodness Without God, and Daniel Dennett, author of Breaking the Spell, Religion as a Natural Phenomenon, identify themselves as atheists. Many of them actually became atheists because they studied the religion in great depth. Like, uh, and actually, many um, biblical scholars like uh, Bart Ehrman are uh, at least non-believers. I don't know if he, if he uses the atheist label or not, but he definitely says he's a non-believer. Actually, there's a show out there called The Atheist Experience that uh, broadcasts out of Austin, on public access and they also stream it live on the web at www.atheistexperience.com I'd like to recommend that for any other progressives out there who think that non-believers lack depth and nuance in, in their religious beliefs or how they view religion. In any case everything else really like uh, and I particularly like your shows on religion so keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks, of course, to everyone who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to do that yourself, leaving a comment, question, or activist call to action, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Today, I really just have a couple of housekeeping uh, sort of things to talk about. I want to remind you, as I'm going to continue to do, about the Daily Show and Colbert rally happening on October 30th in Washington, D.C. on the National Mall that is happening between noon and 3 p.m., and... Um, 
you know, I, I would be reminding you to go to that anyways, but I'm especially reminding you because I will be there and I'm planning a listener meetup for after the event, probably around four o'clock or so. Uh, you know, basically just whenever the event winds down, I will be heading to Bar Louie, which is in the uh, Gallery Place Chinatown area of Washington, D.C. It's unfortunately named, I think. It uh, makes it sound, you know, fancy and kind of hoity-toity, which is definitely not going to be the theme of the meetup. Uh, you know, fanciness is not my style, really. But uh, but that's where it'll be. I'm assured by my D.C. friends that it's a good place to meet up. So Bar Louie is at 701 7th Street Northwest. It's at the Gallery Place Chinatown Metro stop, if, uh, if that's the way you get there. And uh, for details on that, between now and the event... I will be, you know, posting on bestoftheleft.com. There will be a blog post there detailing uh, the event and, or, you know, detailing the meetup. And uh, and then I'll also post it on Twitter and Facebook. So if you're, uh, if you join up there, details will be uh, readily available to you. Before I even set up the event, several listeners uh, showed interest in there being a meetup. And so if you want to, uh, you know, show up, hang out with me and uh, and meet other very cool, interesting people who listen to the show, uh, that is going to be the place to be. Other than that, I really just have a couple of members I want to thank and I'll get out of here. Yvonne L signed up for a, a monthly membership back on August 2nd and has been sticking with the show since then. And uh, and Courtney C signed up for a full year in advance starting you know, on uh, just September 10th and uh, and went above and beyond just to help out the show a little bit more. So huge thanks to Courtney for doing that. Uh, Yvonne for sticking with the show and all of the members and all of the donors who make this show possible. You guys are the absolute backbone of what makes this show possible. I couldn't possibly do 10 episodes a month without you. So hugely appreciated by, by me and, you know, everyone who gets to enjoy the show. Of course, everyone can support the show by doing the one of the most important things you could do, which is just tell all your friends and family about it. Uh, nothing's going to get a person to listen to a podcast more than a personal endorsement from someone they know. So that really, really makes a huge difference. Uh, thanks to everyone who does that. To stay connected to the show online and help spread the word online, of course, join up with the show on Facebook and Twitter. That's twitter.com slash best of the left and facebook.com slash best of the left. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Of course, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. It's now black and white Cause you took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out